Welcome to Masala PTI with your hosts, Ravi and Arvind. Pardon these Indians as they take you on a unique and wild ride around the world of sports. Welcome to another episode of uh, Masala PTA Boys and Girls. I'm here with my co-host Ravi. This is Aravind. Uh, we are past uh, almost the halfway point of the fantasy football season and getting close to the midway point of the NFL season. So we just thought we will uh, share uh, some time together and discuss all that's going on in the sports world. So first and foremost, our uh, things going, Ravi. Are you ready for the elections? Uh, I am as much as I can be, which is as a very eager uh, consumer of all the content and the news and the entertainment that is provided by our uh, presidential candidates and all the uh, so-called experts who opine about them. I think to me, it is an everyday entertainment waiting to happen. So very excited and eager to <laughs> see that go into overdrive over the next couple of weeks. You're right. It may be another... Uh you know, separate thread that we have to keep an eye on along with sports. I, I sure hope the drama ends on uh, the 3rd or maybe the 4th of November, but let's see how it goes. How prepared are you with all the propositions here in California? That's the hot part here in California, right? The ballot is kind of, you know, people know uh, what's going to happen in California as far as the presidential polls go. Uh, doesn't matter which side you are on, you know the result. How about the props? Did you really get into them? Not, I mean, I must admit that I did not. Uh, I think there were a few that I looked at a little bit in detail just, uh, you know, just because of the curiosity around it. But there wouldn't be literally any proposition where I can say that I have an educated uh, opinion on. Yeah, that's that's what makes it hard. So that's what uh, that's why I'm stalling. Anyways, let's get back to what we talk about in this podcast, which is sports. So NFL season, Ravi, it's uh, going <laughs> full swing despite like uh, many many uh, COVID positive uh, diagnosis. Uh, the league is just going forward as if nothing is happening. Uh, I just wanted to touch on. A uh, couple of topics, starting with the NFC West, which is now widely considered the best uh, division in 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 the league. Mm-hmm. We got we got all the four teams are above five hundred, which is a pretty good sign of what a good division should look like. And you know, you and me have connections to both Arizona Cardinals as fans and 49ers as people living here in this Bay Area. How do you see this uh, uh, division going forward? Basically, what I think is the best quarterback, obviously, is in Seattle. The second best is in Arizona. That's the good news. The bad news is uh, both teams don't seem to have a good defense. The good defense might still be in with the Niners, actually, followed by probably the Rams. I don't know how you see the defensive side of this. Uh, San Francisco, both you and I, I don't think we still believe in the quarterback situation, uh, but they do have a great running game thanks to their head coach. He's, Shanahan just seems to scheme up uh, a running game regardless of who suits up. And there's this, the, the Niners are playing Seattle, which is a very important game in the division, obviously, for all the teams involved. 
it's a fascinating division. Really, all four teams probably deserve to be in the playoffs. And they may, right? Because we have an extra team this year, I believe, in the playoffs. That's so, right. how do you how do you see this division? Where do you think the Cardinals are headed? Because they are barely like half a game behind the Seahawks. But then again, they're just uh, uh, one game ahead of uh, the Niners. Uh, how do you see the whole thing? So I see, uh, you know, the the final projected rankings uh, exactly the same as it is right now. Wherein the I think that the the Seahawks are uh, in my mind, despite what happened last Sunday night, markedly mm-hmm. bigger than the Cards. I think uh, their defense actually might be worse than ours. Uh, yeah, than the Cardinals. Uh, but again, the whole Russell Wilson factor looms large. And I think that's one thing that one has to tip your hat to. I do feel, though, that the Cards have a real chance at being the second uh, best team in the NFC West. Uh, and a lot of this is due to the fact that, obviously, the Kyler Hopkins dynamic as well as, let's let's give the man his due, I think the Cliff Kingsbury uh, offensive set also seems to be uh, looking uh, much better in year two versus how it was last year. I think to me, the Achilles heel of the Cardinals is continuing to be its defense. I think uh, um, the defense seems to completely disappear for large portions of a game, uh, mm-hmm. which tells me that unless the Cards are playing the Giants or the Jets or one of these really bad teams in the NFL, they're going to give every team they play against a fair chance to be in the game. And that's kind of borne out in the in the fact that they lost to the Lions and the Panthers. And I don't know if you had a chance to watch the Panthers last night. I couldn't yeah. believe that the team that beat the Seahawks last Sunday lost to that Panthers team. So mm-hmm. that's the problem, that the Cards don't have a definitive win on the table anytime between now and the end of the regular season, just because they play, I feel, to the level of the competition. Right. Um, so I mean, on the, on the... Sorry, go ahead. No, and just the other point, uh, I agree with you. I think the 49ers uh, are, uh, you know, surprising me purely because of their intensity on defense. Uh, I thought they would get blown out of the water by the Patriots last week who are having their own issues. But still, the way the defense played, despite not having many of their starters, I thought was excellent. The Rams are under the radar. The only thing about the Rams, though, Arvind, I feel is that the teams other than last week, they beat Chicago, which is quote-unquote a winning team. Other than that, they've basically beaten all the tomato cans in the NFC East. So, they haven't really, I must say, played against a good team and won. So, the jury is still out as far as I'm concerned on the Rams. I agree with that. And that's why I would probably not agree with you that the the end of the season standing is going to look the same. I -hmm. think the Niners are going to creep up for the exact reasons you uh, spoke about. The Rams, okay. for some reason, feel like they are under the radar. And the Niners uh, seem like they can still uh, win games when the average to above-average Jimmy Garoppolo shows up, right? Which mm, we don't know right. when that will happen or why that That's happens. Right. <laughs> but he, he is uh, inconsistent, right? He's consistently inconsistent. So, which means if a decent version of him shows up, they may have enough other uh, strengths to win pretty much against anybody, right? At least in this division. Now, 
to your point, uh, the the most surprising part of this is probably the Seahawks defense, right? Which may easily be the worst defense in this division, which right. we have not said that in many years, I think. And you're right, the Cardinals defense don't look great either. Uh, so, I, you know, they are all within what a game, game and a half of each other. And I agree with you that that part may continue. But it is going to be, uh, I think the Rams, I, I pro- Niners are probably uh, the wild card here, I think. I think we have a better handle on the other three teams. And the Niners mostly because of injuries and things of that nature, right? They, they've suffered a lot of injuries. So they're going to be up and down and Jimmy will be up and down with them. Um, the most fascinating game of this week also happens to be Niners-Seahawks. Uh, uh, surprisingly, Seahawks have uh, won all three at home, which is not that surprising, actually. But the Niners have won all three on the road, apparently, so far. Right. And then uh, Seattle is obviously favored. Um, I, I, that's going to be a close one, I think. Um, who do you think takes that one? I think the Niners have a shot, actually. I think so, too. And all that. Yeah. yeah, I think so, too. I think the Niners have a shot. Uh which also, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, is further credence to something that I feel about Shanahan that I think he is able to scheme against the team that he's play- that he's playing against. Very similar to how Belichick, uh, you know, uh, right, coaches. right. So to me, some of the uh, aspects of you know what record does a team that the Niners are playing against have for the season prior to them playing the Niners uh, almost is irrelevant. I mean, it's not irrelevant, but it is less contextual than for other teams because to me, I think Shanahan develops opponent-specific schemes on offense as well as on defense. And I think he, I'm sure, has a counter or two for the Seahawks. And he did this really well against the Rams, uh, whom they beat, right? I'm a few weeks back, so I... Right, is that the the game where uh, uh, Garoppolo's threw in the air for like 40 yards and then I had 300 yards or something for the game. Like two Exactly. Uh, that was amazing. A... That was just amazing coaching. He just pray, basically shut off Garoppolo because he stunk up the giant the previous week, but still generated so much offense through the air. That was, uh, I thought that was pretty impressive. And there was a uh, pro football focus had some article right after that game, which showed that um, like an overwhelming majority of his passes were basically uh, lateral screens or <laughs> behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And pretty much 90% of the yardage gained was uh, yards after catch. So it is. And so that way, I will say, and this is slightly off topic, uh, Arvind, that I've been super impressed by Shanahan and John Lynch, which is. You know, the first because of the on-field scheming and uh, play calling, but the latter because they pick up players who fit that narrative, right? I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at Brandon Ayuk or um, Debo Samuel, these are not prototypical wide receivers. They are kind of pseudo right. running backs, you know, part wide receivers, but they fit the way the Niners play offense perfectly well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and that uh, prompted, I think, these offensive players to be grouped as uh, they now call them the Yak guys, yard after catch <laughs> guys, Debo and Kittle and Ayuk and all those guys. So that was pretty impressive. Though I have to say, uh, Garoppolo last week was actually uh, uh, much better. So he has had two good weeks, both behind Shanahan, obviously, but 
uh, is just inconsistent. Now, do you think uh, the defense of Seattle is good enough to take them all the way to the Super Bowl? I'm really not convinced, but I, I feel like the NFC is a little weak this year. So I am wondering if um, they would have trouble in the playoffs despite uh, Russell Wilson's brilliance. He's probably a leading MVP candidate right now, uh, but I'm not, still not convinced they are Super Bowl material. It, purely because of the defense. Uh, uh, and uh, I think what Wilson's been doing is basically uh, dragging them out of loss-like situations and just willing them to win with, with some remarkable performances. Yeah. Uh, like even last week, I thought with the way their defense was, uh, there was, I thought actually when the cards went down by 10 points, I still felt fairly good about their chances. I just, you know, sometimes I feel there are games where Kyler takes a bit of a time to warm up, so to speak. And I thought once that happens, there's no way Seattle stopping our offense. And that is pretty much what ended up happening, except that Wilson was just that much better. Uh, right. And this, despite not getting much help from Metcalf, other than that freakish... Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. Purely on, uh, in terms of his uh, uh, you know, pass-catching capacity, Metcalf wasn't of help, but still Wilson found Lockett again and again. So I think purely because of Wilson, I would never discount the Seahawks, but they do not look like... They are in the same plane as the Buccaneers, for example, or even the Packers. Yeah, so that's let's talk about them. So they are really the class of the NFC, right? I think the Packers and then the Bucks. Uh, I, I feel like they've really sneaked up real well over the last few weeks and people are finally realizing how good their defense is. So I agree with you, the Chicago Bears totally look fake. I can't even believe their uh, record is... <laughs> five and two. I, I, that's like, how did that even happen? But uh, to me, it looks like the Packers, Bucks, and the winner of the NFC West, uh, or maybe the entire NFC West, are the three, you know, are the top, however, makes from NFC West. That's going to be the top of the uh, conference, right? Followed by maybe the Saints and the Bucks. So basically, uh, this may be, Ravi, the best chance for uh, Aaron Rodgers to get his second title. I feel like outside, you know, he's obviously getting up there in age as well. Uh, I don't know if he's going to get many uh, chances after this. This may be his best shot at uh, another uh, ring, actually. Yes, true. And uh, I think if you think about uh, Rogers as well as Brady with Tampa, I kind of you know, feel the same way about Brady as well because I think there is no real dominant team across the entire league. Uh, you know, and that's a title which Brady's Patriots used to hold for a long time. And this time, it feels like every one of those really good teams have a chance. And in that sense, Rogers probably more more than most other you know legacy studs uh, that we have followed and uh, cheered for. Uh, so I think uh, uh, so that that that's a very good point. I kind of felt the same way about Breeze and the Saints as well, except mm-hmm. they seem to have their own issues with everything that's going on with Michael Thomas and you know some other injury related issues. And Breeze kind of looking semi washed himself. Rogers seemed to right. be on top of his game. Right, exactly. So I I agree with you that the Bucks and Saints are also somewhat in the same boat as far as their quarterbacks. Uh, you know, 
probability of them making to another Super Bowl goes. They are all up there in their age. But for some reason, uh, Rodgers and the Packers, Rodgers at least seem to be the best among their lot, among those three aging quarterbacks, right? Now, in AFC, it's a much, probably the better teams do exist in AFC. In that sense, probably the Super Bowl champion comes out of the AFC more than the NFC. But their two, Big Ben and the Steelers, have been a pleasant surprise. Uh followed by you know chiefs titans and ravens we kind of expected would be there and uh, this week's patriots bills i think is a big game in that ravi that they're saying that if the patriots lose that one they're going to have be pretty much you know uh, uh, in the cellar of afc east and they're saying they may go uh, full rebuild and start trading away pieces so have you have you seen a, any juicy rumors around any uh, Patriots trades? I wonder if uh, they may even give away uh, Cam Newton to maybe the yeah. Dallas or something like that. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. The only one that I've been uh, trying to find some juice on is uh, the possibility of the Cardinals getting Stefan Gilmore. Uh, mm-hmm. Because he, se- he seems to be on the trading block. And uh, given that he's also picked up some minor niggle, uh, or at least that's what the Patriots news media seems to suggest. Uh, he may not play this weekend. And to me, sometimes that right before the trading deadline, a prominent player picking up a niggle and then not playing and then suddenly getting traded feels like an ideal template for the fact that he will end up getting dealt. And I have seen some, you know, some side notes on the cards having interest. So that's one I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing happen. Uh, to me, though, the problem with the Patriots, Arvind, is I don't even know who would be tradable assets uh, coming from them. I understand Cam, given the nature of his contract, that he's eminently tradable and usable, especially for a team like Dallas. But yeah. other than that, if you look at their skill position players, is there really anyone that any of the other teams really needs to look at? You're right. I mean, Edelman is up there and he's injured now. He's not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, so- Sonny Michel is not what you, you know, he's not a big attraction uh, either. So I don't know who's even covered, who's even coveted in that roster on the offensive side of the ball. But I'm sure uh, Odi has some gems, uh, you know, at least on the offensive line and def- defense and stuff like that. So, so Belichick, yeah, Belichick's yeah. specialty always has been and something that we have always lauded him for is to take bits and pieces players from other teams and making them look like studs, like Wes Welker and Amendola for a couple of years, and Chris Hogan, and then James then James White, I guess, was drafted by them. But yeah. none of those players, except for possibly Welker, when they left, like if you remember Stephen Ridley and Shane Vereen, and uh, yeah. uh, you know all of these guys, when they left the Patriots and went to other teams, they turned back into a turnip. So to me, it's this... <laughs> You know, someone like a James White, I feel, is ideal for the system that New England plays where they're running backs, where, you know, a three-yard pass by Brady to a running back. I mean, that's a glorified run versus a, yeah, versus yeah, a yeah. pass, right? Yeah. So, people like Dion Lewis and James White fit that persona or even Danny Woodhead. And I think that's where I find when they move to other teams that play more traditional style, they may not always fit in. Right, right. Even Dion Lewis has not done much. Right. Of, uh, so it'll be a new new uh, day in the NFL, Ravi, when Buffalo Bills win this division. Uh, I I I think that's going to happen. So I'm waiting for that. And 
you know, the Miami Dolphins with Tua, I think, are going to make a push as well. Let's see how Tua plays. As you know, I have a vested interest in that. He's, I, I have him in my fantasy team. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's going to be an interesting uh, uh, situation this weekend with uh, Dolphins and Tua playing uh, towards, uh, you know, first game as a starter. Any yes. other games? Yeah. Actually, you know, I was going to tell you, and this might be a surprise to you, that the game this weekend that I'm also really zoning in on for fantasy reasons is the same Dolphins game. <laughs> and I'm saying this because of a, re- a reason very close to Tua, and that is Mike Gesicki. I feel, uh, you know, I was, and I, I do not follow college football much. The one player and the one team that I followed this past season uh, was basically Tua and uh, his team. And because I was just amazed by this kid's talent and it was very uh, sad to see his injury and all of it. And I always used to think that the day he gets a chance to play for an NFL team, mm-hmm. uh, he's going to make some you know, shorter, short slot and intermediate route runners, the slot receivers, really very valuable. And then he got drafted by Miami. And then <laughs> the more you see the fact that Gesicki runs like a slot receiver rather than a traditional tight end, he is someone that I felt would benefit the most from uh, from from Tua starting. And that's why if you saw, I picked up Gesicki this past week. Yeah, uh, nice. yeah so he has had absolutely zero uh, value thus far for most of the season, but you kind of want some excitement in your team, uh, <laughs> d- you know, during the middle part of the NF football season, and that's why I picked him up. I want to see how things work out, uh, but I, I have really, uh, you know, exciting anticipation for Tua and how he fits in with the uh, with the NFL style offense. Cool. Now I know the mystery behind that uh, pickup, the tight end pickup. That's pretty cool. Um, I was going to say another thing on that. I, I'm I'm blanking right now. Uh, oh yeah, I was just going to say. Speaking of fantasy, that you know I've been wrong many, many, many times, right? But I'm going to uh, pat myself on the back a little bit on uh, Josh Allen. Basically, remember yes. we talked about him at the beginning. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> So we are talking about whether or not he was overrated. Now, maybe we were wondering, based on his ADP, maybe he was, maybe he was not. But I was telling you, the productivity is going to be there. And I have been proven right. On the flip side, I was really bashing Ben Roethlisberger. He is coming back down to earth a little bit, but he has been decent as well uh, this season. So he has been... uh, 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 the guy who has made me look bad, at least for the first few weeks. But Josh Allen, I think, is is uh, just a solid fantasy guy. And he's going to be for a few years, I'm hoping. Yeah, agreed with you completely, Arvind. And I must say that along the same lines, I have had two strikes. One of which was the same Josh Allen, who I remember I was a naysayer on. I kind of had no faith in his ability to replicate the numbers he had last season. So I've been proved wrong there as well as I was super high on Cam. uh, And I continued Mm -hmm. that optimism through the first couple of weeks of the season when he started. I I didn't want to bring it up, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) But I was so wrong on Cam. And I'm saying this not just because of his less than pedestrian numbers. But, you know, if you see him play it feels like everything is wrong about him. Like in terms of his uh, footwork, his technique, uh, 
uh, he's salv- he has been salvaging a lot of his performances because of his uh, uh, rushing yards and his running or rushing touchdowns. But as a pure QB, I think he's over the hill. So I was wrong on both of them. Yeah, I've, I've been surprised uh, with Cam where he started and how he looked for a few weeks and then where he is right now. It's It's been a uh, you know, big time roller coaster uh, ride for him. Um, any other games this weekend uh, that you are interested in? Otherwise, I want to hit on a few topics on the NBA. Actually, but uh, no, no other games strike. I mean, you know, stand out other than obviously we all have vested interests in the games uh, which involve uh, players on our fantasy team, but nothing other than that. Right, right. Um, the Bears uh, are. Playing, who are the Bears playing? I was just curious, just because we brought them up. Uh, I'm really curious about that team. What's going on at five and two? And they looked so bad. Uh, the, oh, Saints is playing Bears. That'll be a decent one. That'll be a decent it, game. Yeah, it should be. And I think the the playing field is slightly more level because I think the Bears are a crappy team, but the Saints do not again have. Michael Thomas this Sunday. So, for what it's worth, it should not be as lopsided as it would have been otherwise. And then the Sunday night uh, extravagances, uh, Cowboys at Eagles for the NFC East <laughs> lead at, uh, you know, 2-1-4 or whatever their record is. That's That division is putrid. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, uh, there's a better than 50-50 chance that the Bears tie against Cincinnati in Week 2 determines whether they win the division or not. Because, you know, all they need to do is to win the same number of games as every other team in the division and they'll they'll win it because they've had a tie oh, you mean rather the, than a... You mean the Eagles? The Eagles, sorry, not the yeah, Bears. Yeah, 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 the Eagles, yeah. Eagles, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's so strange. All right, so switching on to the NBA, so you probably saw the news that the league is pushing for a December 22nd start, which which makes me happy because uh, we'll be getting hoops back sooner than uh, originally expected. But then the players are uh, pushing back. Uh, apparently, they want more of an MLK Day start. But I think the December... Uh, date is going to happen because the league is now saying if you start then you'll get a 50 game uh, uh, season which means both sides have to give up a lot of money so i'm not sure if the players uh, are going to agree to that so at the end of the day after some negotiation they may actually start on december 22nd ravi or around that time frame mm-hmm. uh, because the the reason for that was fascinating to me more than the details itself Apparently, they want to finish before Olympics, right? My initial reaction was maybe it's because, you know, NBA is such an international sport. There is a lot of pressure on a lot of players like, you know, Luca and Giannis and who knows who wants to play for their home countries, right? More than that, apparently, NBA didn't care about, I mean, I don't know how much they care about it, but what is really uh, the push is basically TV networks are saying you got to be done before the Olympics. Otherwise, you got no shot with the TV ratings. Mm, So apparently, that is the forcing function that the uh, league was told that you better get it done before uh, the start of the Olympics by the TV partners. And then playing it backwards, the league determined that unless you start 
end of December, you can squeeze in 70 plus games at least because that's when they have some contractual things trigger for local sports networks, regional sports networks and things like that. So if they drop below 70, I think they have to refund some money to the RSNs and things like that. So long story short, uh, money is king and I think they are going to figure out how to get started uh, end of December. Um, any Anything you have heard differently or anything you want to add on that? No, I've and in fact, to be honest with you, I've just been reading up and learning about the latest uh, in regards to when the next season is going to start in the last day or two. And much of what I've read is aligned with uh, what you just described. Uh, based on how the bubble went and the excitement around the Phoenix Suns in particular, I can't wait for the next season to start. So for what it's worth, purely for that reason, my vote is to get the season started as early as possible. Right, right. And that's where I was going to get to next. So one of the rumors doing rounds over the last couple of days is this has been on and off, right? So Warriors are obviously very much in in, uh, in the spotlight for a couple of reasons. Number one, they are the Warriors, you know, with Steph Clay and everybody coming back. They are at least expected to be decent, right? And they have the second pick in the draft. So when you talk about the draft, again, their name keeps coming up. And there's this whole speculation around whether you keep it, trade it, whether you go for, uh, you know, winning the championship next year, given the age of the Splash Brothers and on and on and on. And one of the names, Ravi, that keeps coming up is they have, uh, Warriors have a trade exception. And apparently they want Kelly Oubre with that. Oh, wow. yeah, the Kelly Oubre, as you know, has been just great for the Suns uh, since he came there from Washington. But the Suns played the bubble without him, to your point about being 8-0 and in the bubble. He was injured through the uh, bubble. And they the couple of wings uh, who will be sharing some time with him if he were to stay really blossomed, right? One was Bridges and the other was Cam Johnson. So there is all this speculation whether the Suns will or won't uh, get rid of Oubre. I really think from a Suns perspective that, would, you know, I want them to keep him. From from Warriors, I think they would be awesome if they get him. Yeah. Um, I know you are a lot more plugged in than me with the local media in Phoenix. I was just curious if you had, uh, you had heard any uh, latest rumors around that. Surprisingly not. And in fact, uh, to the point where I think uh, there is more on that floating around in the Bay Area than in uh, the Phoenix, Arizona media outlets. Okay, that's probably because it's more probably of wishful thinking by the Warriors. Because he would fit in really well. Fit in very well. Yes, with either team really. But definitely with the Warriors, we were thin at the... Uh, wing position. Uh, by the way, today is Booker's birthday, I think. So, happy birthday, Book. And uh, I'm also pretty excited to see them continue their run from the bubble. Now, speaking of the Suns, Ravi, a bunch of ex-Suns are all ending up in Brooklyn, you know, with uh, Steve Nash. Or there's some news today that uh, Mike D'Antoni might actually be an assistant coach under him. And Amari uh, is already an assistant coach. So what do we do? Do we start supporting Kyrie and Katie? Or uh, I'm not a big Kyrie fan, by the way. Uh, so I'm a little bit torn right now because we definitely love 
Nash and D'Antoni and Amari, it's it's almost becoming a Suns East out there. So I, I think we need to develop some liking for Kyrie and KD and that whole gang up there in the in in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I guess unfortunately a piece of our uh, loyalty is now owed. To the Brooklyn Nets, and especially if, uh, especially if the Suns, I mean, sorry, especially if Steve Nash and D'Antoni are able to get KD and Kyrie to play like the 2005-2006 uh, uh, Suns, which again, can you imagine? Uh, basically, a screen and roll with the two of them, with some wing and three three-point shooters out, you know, out, out outside the perimeter and running plays in an unselfish way. And I know today it feels like that's a dated concept given everything the Warriors have done spectacularly well and achieved in the last few years. But to go back to when the Suns started it, it was a joy to watch. And I do feel, so, I mean, I think there is, there is scope for the Nets to do the same. Uh, agreed. I mean, they are the pioneers, though... D'Antoni played a very different style in Houston. So there's a lot of speculation whether he will go back to his roots with Nash out there and with a younger, more, uh, you know, kind of athletic team in with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, if they start playing that style, that would be fascinating, watching, you know, Kyrie and KD uh, do that uh, up and down, you know, shoot within, you know, seven seconds or less. I don't think he will go that radical, but if they do, that would be a joy to watch. I mean, uh, they have a lot of injury issues, both Kyrie and KD. KD will be coming back from Achilles, so I don't know if they will run them to death, but it's a fascinating thought to if they were to play an open style and slightly up-tempo than what D'Antoni was doing in uh, Houston. That that would be an offense to watch, I'm sure. If especially if KD comes back, even 80, 90 percent of where he was. Agreed. Agreed totally. And uh, they have quite a bit of depth, which a lot of those names are in the trade uh, uh, rumors as well. Um, anyways, that's all I got. Anything else you want to touch on? No, I mean, I think it's a bye week for the cards this weekend. So we can uh, uh, watch the Sunday games with sole loyalty to our fantasy football teams <laughs> for a change. So that's all uh, I wanted to say before we sign off. Any fantasy thoughts while we are at it? Uh, you know, I, I, yeah, yeah, actually, I do have one. And that is going back to your question on if there are games that I'm looking forward to watch. The, the Philadelphia-Dallas game holds interest for me from a fantasy perspective because one guy among rookie wide receivers that I was really excited about when the season started was Jalen Rager. And mm-hmm. then he obviously got injured and, you know, uh, the Eagles went on a tailspin. So I'm actually excited to see now that he's going to come back seemingly at full, you know, uh, uninjured status and can slide in as the Eagles' number one receiver, I'm really excited to see that kid. And looking at how all of the other heralded uh, rookie receivers this year have done, like, you know, Justin Jefferson and uh, uh, even LaVisca Chenault uh, to some extent, and then C.D. Lamb until uh, until Dak got injured, it felt like an ace receiver class. And in that regard, I'm really looking forward to seeing Rager. Do you think they've... Uh... 
performed up to the expectations because if you think through this right you bring up an interesting point the there was a time 5 years maybe 8 years back or something like that where i wouldn't touch a rookie receiver with a 10 foot barge pole right i never trusted them they took them a while to contribute then there came a era which probably pioneered by aj green i would say mm-hmm. where, where rookie receivers were all right right more and more of these guys were coming in from pro style offenses same as quarterbacks right both of them started contributing earlier and earlier and got to a point where i lost at least i lost all my fear of rookie receivers and i started drafting them generously like you would a uh, rookie running back or something like that so they've been doing well my point is they've been doing well the last few years and this year you're absolutely right they were so hyped on draft day right there was just jalen rigger and uh, rugs and cd lamb and ayuk was part of that and the jerry judy was part of that given that ravi do you think they have been as effective as fantasy contributors have at least i would have expected in august or september yeah, see i think so uh, and then to, uh, the reason i say that is because the receiver position unlike say the qb or a running back where it is again one person holds the keys they themselves hold the keys for their performance you know if, if you're a qb and if you are anointed the starter as a rookie you kind of hold control of your performance whereas with wide receivers you are depending on a person throwing you the ball the system that your team plays and frankly then injuries come into the equation so given all of those factors mm-hmm. you think of how many hits there have been justin jefferson is a hit we discussed earlier about ayuk fitting in the shanahan system and within that he has had two real good blow up games already this year um and then uh, uh, on the other hand you know yes jerry judy has been disappointing but i was listening to a Denver beat writer uh, you know on a pod he runs and he said that much of the lack of fantasy stats for Judy can be attributed to the coaching staff having Drew Lock only throw deep passes which is why Tim Patrick seems to be the receiver there to own whereas Judy's running wide open in the intermediate routes and not getting anything thrown at him so my mm. point be my point being that i think the receivers themselves are worth the hype they came in with but it's a, always a question of opportunity plus talent plus the qb getting to them you know the way they need to right right and and you know even ayuk right he has not been a huge success fantasy wise i'm sure he is doing decent from an nfl perspective in fantasy he has been injured but maybe that's the key point right these some of these guys have been injured uh, that's right today. that's right because i was thinking even lavishka sernalt has not been as good as he looked uh, in the early weeks he is is hard to trust from a fantasy perspective that's right that's right uh, so my comparison ravi is uh, i don't know if you remember a few years back i think this was the dante moncrief uh, rookie year there was like just a whole bunch of them uh coming out right it's probably that's the same year if i remember right it might have even been devonte adams year as well uh, i see okay I, uh, this was uh 2014 or something like that 
so that was a year when they really there's a whole bunch of uh, guys who came out and later in the year none of them were even uh, drafted right as in from a fantasy perspective hmm. so later in the year we were all like running around to pick these guys up uh, i'm just looking it up actually it's guys like sammy watkins and mike evans and odell beckham was part of that uh, who came on later if you remember he was injured kelvin benjamin yes. jarvis landry Yeah, Devontae Adams, Dante Moncrief, Allen Robinson. Wow. Uh, Cody Latimer had a good run. So that's the, I mean, a lot of these guys have not survived through six years. But at Brandon Cooks, Jordan Matthews, Marquise Lee. Oh, that's, my goodness. Yeah, that's, a... that, that's the year I remember. Um, this year I was hoping would shape up like that. with the added advantage of us knowing these guys are good ahead of time and drafting them on day 1 uh, but maybe it's the expectation that makes me think uh, this has not been that good this year uh, but anyway to your point at least justin jefferson is kind of uh, his ceiling is pretty high it's it's you know anything it can happen with that guy that's true and i think he also was uh... what quiet for two weeks right before he exploded uh, in in week 3 and since then yes i think he is a definite one to uh, to keep an eye on but so, I, you know to, to me though the jury is still out and you know would definitely utilize the next two to three weeks to see how how some of these guys especially the ones that are coming back from injury like rugs and uh, rager to see how they shape up for the rest of the season yes those two names i think are the key because they have offenses where they are needed yes correct but it's just not been working out because of injuries so they can completely transform the uh, the perception of this rookie class i agree with that right cool on that note uh, let's call it a part and i uh, hope we can do this again stay safe and have a good uh, election everybody yes sir talk to you all soon and uh, see you later